If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Apostles, Apostle Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. Uh, we are in week 3 uh, of our series core. And uh, the, the first week we spent time on making disciples. Last week, uh, Pastor Randy began to talk about uh, watchfulness to the facts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're spending another week on watchfulness as a, as a spiritual discipline, as, as guarding our lives uh, as ambassadors for Christ. And, uh, and I believe in your notes, I'm not sure if they made it in or not, but what I want to do is we, we discuss watchfulness, because for many of you it may be um, a, uh, a discipline, a spiritual discipline, that um, really isn't on your radar. I think it's probably, along with the spiritual discipline of meditation, probably one of the more neglected uh, spiritual disciplines of our Christian walk, but it's a it's a discipline that's been widely practiced uh, by Christians all throughout church history, and really it's only the last, I would say, a hundred years that uh, God's church has be, uh, been neglecting this spiritual discipline. And so what I want to do is start out with a baseline definition. Um, I can't remember if it's in your notes or not. If it's not in your notes and you uh, you're not able to shorthand this definition, just reach out to me and I will uh, email you the definition. But this definition comes from um, the reformer John Owen, and he says this. He says, watchfulness is a universal carefulness and diligence, exercising itself in and by always and means prescribed by God over our hearts, our ways, the methods of Satan, the occasions and advantages of sin in the world, so that we won't be entangled. And watchfulness, it's a universal carefulness and diligence exercising itself in and by always and means prescribed by God over our hearts and ways, the methods of Satan, the occasions and advantages of sin in the world, so that we won't be entangled. So that, as the author of Hebrews says, so that we won't be deceived by sin's deceitfulness. And so watchfulness, it's a, it's a spiritual discipline, much like prayer or meditation. And we see it either explicitly mentioned in, in Scripture or we see it implicitly implied in Scripture. And so um, what I want to do, for those of you that, that maybe this is the first time that you've considered watchfulness as a spiritual discipline, I want to give you just a quick survey of what the Scriptures say in regards to watchfulness. And this is by no means exhaustive. The, the Scripture is, is littered with uh, the command um, to, to, to keep watch over our souls. In Deuteronomy 4.9 we see this passage in, in verse, uh, uh, yeah, verse 9. It says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, or watch your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children. Make them known, known to your children's children. And we see Moses giving this imperative to the Israelites here. After the, the great exodus, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart, watch your heart with all vigilance. Vigilance is, is even an, an, an ingredient to watch one. It's keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
And then Jesus, in, in Matthew 24, he talk, talking a lot about the kingdom, he says, see that no one leads you astray. Watch out. Make sure no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Mark 8, 15. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We see in Galatians, the Apostle Paul talking about a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Error permeates, disunity permeates. Watch out, beware. Mark chapter 13, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, watch out, keep awake, for you don't know when the time will come. Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Hebrews 2, 1, therefore we must pay close attention. We must be watchful to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. In 1 Peter 5, 8, many of you know this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so this is just a, a quick survey of, of what the Scripture um, has to say about being watchful, about being vigilant in our lives. And Owen's definition that I read to you a moment ago says that there's this universal carefulness, if you will, to the, to the discipline of watchfulness. It's this all around, it's this complete carefulness. It's, again, it's vigilant. It, it, it pays attention. It's sober-minded. It's on guard. A watchful person is concerned with the keeping of, of his or her soul. It's what a watchful person is concerned about. And the way we cultivate watchfulness in our lives is through the means that God's provided for us. And, and when we're watchful, we're able to ensure that we're not deceived by sin. We're watchful so that we won't be entangled by enticements, the, the temptations of Satan. We're watchful so that we won't be led astray by our own passions at war within us, as James talks about. We're watchful so that we won't be entangled with the cares of this world. Paul warns Timothy of that in 2 Timothy. And so our aim in watchfulness is, is to hold to the faith with a clear conscience so that we can enjoy God and be effective, uh, effective ambassadors for Christ Jesus. Our aim in watchfulness is to hold to the faith with a clear conscience so that we can enjoy God and be effective ambassadors for Christ. So we're going to look at Philippians 2. It's going to help us to understand this discipline. And, and, I, and we're going to ask a few questions of the text. What are... Question one, what are watchful people thinking? Question two, what's the goal of a watchful believer? And then question three, because John Owen spent some time talking about the means God has provided for us to develop the spiritual discipline of, the, of watchfulness, what are some of the means that God has provided? And this for us is either going to be explicitly clear in Philippians 2 or it's going to be implied in Philippians chapter 2. And so look with me starting with verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, 
So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. We just sang about that a few minutes ago. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is your word. God, it's unchanging. Lord, we're thankful for it. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would help us to understand it, Lord. Help us to work through it, Lord. Help me to communicate it clearly. Help me to rightly divide it, God. And I pray that you would use it to build your church up and to draw lost people to yourself. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, the if we were to, to, to kind of look at a... Um, core passages in regards to the theme of watchfulness, we really begin to see it in verses, really verse 12, working out our salvation with fear and with trembling. You see some of that uh, both uh, kind of teased out both before and after the passage of Scripture, uh, passage of Scripture, but the reason I wanted to read this whole section here is because the surrounding verses in Philippians 2 really prop up the theme of watchfulness, they help this uh, spiritual discipline make sense. They um, they they make sense of the command to work out salvation with fear and trembling. And so, look with me just for a few minutes at some of the earlier passages of Scripture. We see in verse five, if you're taking notes, that to be watchful, to be able to do the things uh, t- uh, that the Apostle Paul's commanding. To be watchful is to have the mind of Christ. It's to have the mind of Christ. To be watchful is to have the mind of Christ. Paul commands us. He commanded the church of Philippi, and he consequently commanded us to have the mind of Christ. Primarily, Philippians chapter 2 
It's about Christ Jesus. All of the scripture is about Christ Jesus, right? And we see in Philippians chapter 2 that, that Christ is being propped up and, and Paul is ensuring that we see Jesus as our Messiah and we see Jesus as our example as well. And so what is the mindfulness of Christ in this particular passage? And certainly we, um, we couldn't really exhaust looking into the mind of Christ, but I want to limit it to, to Philippians chapter 2 here. But the mindfulness in, in this passage is primarily about love. It's about love. If, if we were to flip over to uh, Exodus chapter 20 and, and we were to look through the Ten Commandments, uh, scholars, all through, theologians, and pastors all throughout church history, they would divide, and, and really the, the, the text itself divides the Ten Commandments in what's called two tables. Table one has the first four, and it deals with our relationship with the Lord. And table two, the back six commandments, de- deal, uh, deals with our relationship with other people. Love for God, right? That's why, it, be that my vision, the, the order of those verses are highly important because without love uh, for the Lord, without Him being our first love, without him, him having our hearts completely captivated, it's impossible to love neighbor, right? And so the first four commandments are, are about our relationship with the Lord, and the back six commandments are how our relationship with the Lord leaks out to other people. So we, the first four commandments deal with the Lord, the back six commandments is, is the outward expression, if you will, of our love for God. And in, and in this passage in Philippians chapter 2, the love of God and love of neighbor manifest itself in the mind of Christ with this selflessness. Right? Christ was selfless. Selfless. We see pure motives. Christ didn't have, have selfish ambition. Right? That's something that we can't identify with. We all have mixed motives, don't we? Even our good deeds are tainted by mixed motives this side of eternity. And he had pure motives and he had humility. He humbled himself. Right? Christ Jesus accomplished what the first Adam couldn't accomplish. Christ Jesus accomplished what we can't accomplish. Right? He accomplished complete love and devotion to the Father that fueled his selfless motives. It fueled his humility. And he, he, he did this perfectly. He did it perfectly. And Paul encourages the church of Philippi to follow the example of Christ Jesus. So in this chapter, we're reminded of how Christ became man in the incarnation. We're reminded that Jesus took our sin Upon himself, we're reminded that Christ carried those sins to the cross where God poured out his wrath for the sins of his church, for the sins of his bride. This is the mind of Christ in action. This is, this is watchfulness in its purest form. Right? If we want to see watchfulness in, it, in, in its purity, we look to Christ. And, and Paul commands Christians to adopt this mindset, to mimic, if you will, this mindset. So how do we measure up? You know the answer, we don't, right? We don't measure up, and we can't measure up. Christ measures up. Christ did measure up. That's the beauty of the gospel. In fact, Paul couldn't even commend this um, 
to us, this mindset to us apart from what Christ accomplished. Because apart from Christ, we don't have the ability or even the desire to adopt this mindset. We don't have the ability or the desire to cultivate a watchfulness in our lives, the gospel and in service to other people. But Christ came, he dwelt among us, he took our sin, he died, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he rose from the dead. And according to the scripture, the Holy Spirit has given the mind of Christ to God's people. That's good news, isn't it? Right? Christ didn't just save us. But we get, we get more benefits than just salvation as believers. Because verse 5 says, you were to look at the latter part of verse 5, that Christians possess the mind of Christ. You have your, if you have an ESV Bible, it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, speaking of the mindset that Paul is commending. Right? That's the latter part of verse 5 here. Christians aren't attempting to attain the mind of Christ. We're not attempting to attain the mind of Christ. We don't earn it. We can't reach for it. It's not on this shelf somewhere where we have to grab a ladder and prop the ladder up and climb the ladder and get it off of the shelf. It's already in our possession. It's in our possession. It's in our possession because believers enjoy, they have union with Christ. I've said this before at Coastal before, but churches lack good, clear teaching on a believer's union with Christ. Right? And today, at the end of the service, we're going we're gonna to partake of the, the Lord's Supper, the bread, the juice. If you're a Presbyterian in here, the wine. But when we take the Lord's Supper, this is, it's, a, it's a celebration of Christ in us, right? It's a celebration of Christ in us, his body broken for us, his blood spilled for us. And a believer's life is so closely identified with the life of Christ that his life and work on the cross is credited to us as if we did it. That's crazy. That's crazy. The perfect person and work of Christ is credited to us as if we actually did it. Colossians 3, 3, Paul says, For you, speaking of the church of Colossae, consequently us, for you have died. If you're a believer, this is the position that you're in. You have died, right? We, that's, we, we celebrate that in baptism when the person goes under the world. We, we have died, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. It's the significance of being brought up out of the water, right? Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Because of the sufficient work of Jesus, the Lord doesn't look down on us and see our sins. He doesn't, he doesn't see our brokenness. He sees the perfect, spotless lamb. We are in Christ. Jesus inherited what we earned, which is death in the wrath of God, but we get what Jesus earned, which is peace and reconciliation with God and all the other benefits that are offered to us in Jesus Christ. And on top of that, according to Ephesians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit seals 
our election seals our salvation until the day that we acquire possession of it in the new heavens and the new earth. So what Christ earned is ours. What he earned is ours. And it's not because we're smart enough to acquire it. It's not because of any type of work that we can do. It's ours because it's Christ's. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we possess the mind of Christ. And we possess the mind of Christ because we enjoy union with Christ as believers. And so how do we cultivate the mind of Christ in our lives? How do we, how do we nurture it? Because nurturing the mind of Christ is how we cultivate the spiritual discipline of watchfulness. Nurturing the mind of Christ is how we cultivate the spiritual discipline of watchfulness. Right? Jesus was watchful as he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And Jesus was watchful as he prayed in desolate places. Jesus was watchful as he prayed in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we have the ability to be light-minded with Jesus. We have, we have the ability to nurture that mindset, and there are means of grace that the Lord has provided for us. Owen talks about these means of grace, but there's these means of grace that the Lord's provided for us by which we can cultivate watchfulness in our lives. And I just want to give you a few, and they're not new to you. It's not some special insight or some secret that you got to really dig deep in order to get the answer to. It's quite simple, and the Lord has made it quite plain to us. But I'm, I'm going to give you four. The first thing is this, Lord's Day corporate worship. Lord's Day corporate worship. Right? The Lord set aside, the, the, the Sabbath was on Saturday, and then Christ raised from the dead, and, and things changed. The Christian Sabbath is on Sunday because Christ bodily rose from the dead. We worship on Sunday because our brothers and sisters all throughout church history since the first century church worshiped on Sunday because of the new birth. Because we're new creations in Christ Jesus. And so we come and we enjoy singing lofty, high truths about God. We come and we pray big prayers about our big God. We come and we, we listen to the word preached. We preach the word because in it, God communicates to us who he is. God communicates to us who we are and our need for him. You got a letter handed out to you on the way in about uh, starting uh, doing services twice a month here. I put bi-monthly and then uh, Cody came up and said, you mean bi-weekly? And I said, you know what I meant. Um, just joking. But the, we're doing bi-weekly. We're going to do bi-weekly Sunday afternoon services in order to take advantage of this day that really is this market day of our souls that's really good for us to really think high thoughts about God so that it, it fuels outward living, outward obedience to the Lord. Regular Bible intake. We should be regularly ingesting God's Word. Right? If you don't know how to do that, man, there's so many good plans that we could send to you. Just reach out to us. But we should be regularly having our minds renewed by the Word of God. I typically, when I counsel people who have been deceived by sin, I find that, um, that corporate worship is pretty sporadic and Bible intake is almost non-existent. Even just those two things, right out of the gate, I, I find sometimes are, are not there. 
another means of grace the Lord has provided is focused prayer. Right? Jesus prayed in desolate places. Prayed in desolate places. We need to cultivate the spiritual discipline of prayer in our lives. As we do that, we need to make a habit of repentance and faith in the Lord. Repentance and faith. And I'll mention this again, and uh, I'll mention repentance and faith more in just a moment. But, but Lord's Day corporate worship, regular Bible intake, focused prayer, and repentance and faith. These are four means God has provided and commanded us to practice as believers that are good for us, that help us to cultivate watchfulness in our lives. These disciplines remind us of who we are in Christ. These disciplines keep us from being deceived by sin, sin's deceitfulness, and the Lord uses them to promote good works. And so, Coastal, do you have the mind of Christ? Do you possess it? If you're a believer, the answer is yes. And the question is, are you cultivating it in your lives? So to be watchful is to have the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ is something we possess as believers. But what does watchfulness do? What is its purpose? What is its goal? If you're taking notes, I'd have you jot this down. Christian watchfulness declares the kingship of Jesus over all things. Christian watchfulness declares the kingship of Jesus over all things. This verses 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. God exalted Christ. Right? We're not waiting for him to be exalted. He is exalted. He's exalted over everything. Right? We're well underway with this political season. If, um, if you don't know, that's a public service announcement. I'm sure you guys were itching to get back into it. But um, as Americans, we have the freedom to vote. Right? We enjoy the freedom to vote people into office. And, and, uh, and based on the results of our vote, Certain men and certain women are elected to represent us. They become our representatives. They become our officials, right? Our votes contribute to them representing us, to them being our representatives. This isn't the case with Jesus, right? This isn't the case of Jesus. We don't vote Jesus into a position. Our acknowledgement of his kingship does not validate his kingship. And Jesus isn't just our representative, Jesus is our king. And our king has a throne, and that throne can't be overturned, right? Jesus is exalted. God has highly exalted him, right? Jesus is ruling and reigning. He rules in heaven, he rules on earth, and he rules under the earth, according to Philippians 2. There's no place in all of creation that's beyond the scope of Jesus's kingship. There's no place in all of the cosmos that's beyond his rule. And the quality of our watchfulness as Christians will demonstrate how deep this truth has penetrated our hearts. If you believe Christ to be king, how does that change the way that you live? How does that change the way that you live? Are you working out your salvation with fear and trembling? If you're not sure, here, here's some questions you can ask yourself. What, what consumes your time? What consumes your time? Where, where do your thoughts drift to? What do you spend your money on? 
Men, are you leading your homes in such a way that announces the universal lordship of Jesus Christ? Coastal, do you tend to fear people and outcomes more than you fear the Lord? Right? Prior to what some people may think, this world is not going to hell in a handbasket. It just isn't. And it's bad theology to think otherwise. God has good plans for this world. Right? Jesus is the sovereign king over all things. And Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But why in the world would he teach us to pray if his kingdom wasn't going to come and his will wasn't going to be done on earth as it is in heaven? And so, is the quality of your watchfulness declaring Christ's authority? Is it declaring Christ's kingship over everything? Is it declaring that Christ really is accomplishing his will and his good purpose? So our Christian watchfulness declares the universal kingship. It announces the kingship in our homes. It announces the kingship of Christ in our communities. It announces the kingship of Christ to every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Fourth, Christian watchfulness endures. It endures. There is a, there's this sustaining, if you will, to a believer's watchfulness. It, it doesn't burn out. It may dim at times, but it will not burn out. God gives daily, right, exactly what we need. He gives daily sustaining grace to us as believers. In verse 12 in, our, in Philippians here, Paul commends a perpetual obedience. He says, in his presence, in his absence, this isn't a call to perfection, but as believers, the trajectory of our Christian life should be progressive, should be one foot in front of the other. If you haven't read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, I would in- encourage you to do so. There's, I think, a copy out in the, in the library, but I think it's one of like, the most read books um, ever, aside from the Bible. Um, but in Christian's Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character uh, named Christian, and, and it, it's an allegory of the Christian life. And, and Christian, on his journey out of the city of destruction to the celestial city, uh, he encounters snares. He's tempted to despair. He, he's tempted to take shortcuts. He's tempted to give up. But there is progression in his life. He keeps moving forward. He does, in fact, arrive at the celestial city. A Christian will sur- s- arrive at the celestial city. A Christian will cultivate this discipline of watchfulness and be on guard against the snares and the distractions and the shortcuts that are placed in our lives by our own flesh, by the enemy, the devil, who roars around like a lion in this unbelieving world. Christians will endure in this discipline of watchfulness. And the beauty is this. We endure because the Lord keeps us. Jesus says in John 10, verses 27 to 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my hand. Then he claims to be equal with the Father. He said, I and the Father am one. That's why no one will snatch them out of his hand, right? Right? Our Christian watchfulness, it endures because we belong to Jesus. 
belong to Jesus. He's our good shepherd. He gives us eternal life, and we don't take it. He gives it to us, and it's a gift that's never going to be revoked. We're not going to perish, and along our journey toward the celestial city, we're not going to be snatched out of our sovereign Lord's hand. And that security, it should promote watchfulness in our lives. It doesn't make us careless. It doesn't give us a license to sin. It promotes watchfulness. Christ is in us. He doesn't leave us. He's present with us on the journey, and the Holy Spirit produces in us watchfulness, good works. Fifth, to be watchful is to have informed, reverent, Christ-focused obedience. To be watchful is to have informed, reverent, Christ-focused obedience. Therefore, my beloved, verse 12, you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The word therefore in verse 12, significant, right? Paul is saying, because of all that Christ Jesus has accomplished, obey, and you can obey. Because of everything Christ has accomplished. A minister who died in his 20s, Robert Murray McShane, said, for every one sin I think of, I'm to think of Christ ten times. Every one sin I think of, I'm to think of Christ ten times. Right? Our understanding of the gospel, Christ's sufficient work, should motivate repentance and faith, should motivate our obedience. And I mentioned repentance and faith earlier, but you can't have one without the other. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. Our feasting on Christ, our thinking on Christ, drives our obedience. It drives our obedience. The gospel isn't something only relevant to the unbeliever, and then we're to move on to deeper things like discipleship. If you spend your life trying to grow as a believer apart from the gospel, you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow. The gospel gets to the root issues of our lives. Our journey of sanctification should be saturated by the gospel. Otherwise, we're just modifying our behavior, and our watchfulness isn't going to endure. In fact, we'll just burn out. Right? Our obedience should be the result of gazing at Jesus through Scripture. And as we look at Christ, we walk with Christ. As we look at Christ, we walk with Christ. And finally, be watchful is to be mindful of God's good plans for eternity. That's verse 13. It's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's good pleasure is him making Christ's kingdom known all over the place for his glory. If I'm reading my Bible right, the scripture promises God's people will be as numerous as the sands on the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the sky. God's wedding banquet isn't going to be some sad party that nobody shows up to. Right? It's not going to be like that. It's going to be packed. It's going to be vibrant. It's going to be celebratory. And a watchful Christian keeps that in his mind. A watchful Christian is eternally mindful. A watchful Christian understands that this difficult life is a vapor compared to the next life. It's a vapor. And a watchful Christian is a Revelation 21 Christian. I read this earlier, but I need to close with it. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. A watchful Christian is to have the mind of Christ. Christian watchfulness declares the kingship of Jesus. Christian watchfulness endures. Christian watchfulness is mindful of God's good plan for eternity. In just a moment, um, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And the beauty of the the Lord's Supper is it gives us a, a moment to reflect. It gives us a moment to reflect of all that God's accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. But it's also a moment to reflect on your sins. Sins that the Lord's forgiven you for. Sins that, that you need to address and repent of. That you need to confess. That you need to thank God that he poured his wrath out on those sins, on Jesus, on the cross 2,000 plus years ago. And so I want to encourage you, the band's going to play Uh, In the band, you can go ahead and come on up, guys. They're going to play in Christ alone. They're going to remind us that it's Christ alone who's accomplished everything that we need. He's sufficient. So reflect on that this morning. Spend time thanking God for that. Spend time declaring your neediness for Christ this morning. And then as you're ready, I would encourage you, friends, family, small group, Come. We don't, we don't pass the elements around. You just come as you are ready and, and feast on Christ. Celebrate Christ being in you. If you're not a believer in this room, if you're not actively repenting and believing the gospel, I would encourage you to stay seated. This meal is for God's people. And so uh, when the band plays, uh, you come as the Lord leads you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.